0: Welcome to My Big Safety Challenge, a podcast all about stories of safety leadership, presented by Dale Carnegie and the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. Here are your hosts, Merle Heckman and Mike Palmer.
1: Mike, there's a place for passion and enthusiasm
2: in safety, and we're going to hear about that today. We are. Been thinking about this one, excited to talk to her. We're going to speak with Emily Gamlin. She's the Senior Environmental Health and Safety Manager for Advanced Auto Parts. I've known Emily for a long time. My kids go to school with her growing up and she came into our field and had the pleasure of working with her for a while with safe The listeners will see, I mean, she just exudes passion and it's a very authentic person. So excited about this one. Here we go. <music> Hey, good morning, Merle. Hey, Mike. Good things going there. Yeah, got a great guest. We got Emily Gamblin. She is now the Senior Environmental Health and Safety Manager for Advanced Auto Parts. Great person and a great safety professional. And uh, good morning, Emily.
3: Good morning, guys. I'm so happy to be here.
1: We'd like to know how you got intrigued and interested in safety. How'd you launch into this career? Take us from the start on it.
3: Well, it's very interesting. If anybody knew me growing up, I think it shocks a lot of people that I went into this field. I remember the first time putting on a hard hat and safety shoes, just very out of my characteristic. But yet, here I am. I've fallen in love with the field and the career that I've chosen. A little bit about my backstory. I went to the University of Alabama originally to be a nutritionist. I realized that was not the path for me but I wanted to continue in the health field to help people. That was my passion. From there, I furthered my education and went to the University of Tennessee and got my NPH, Master's of Public Health. Through that program, we were required to do an internship. Uh, and it just so happened that Mr. Mike Palmer right here went through the same graduation program that I did. So I went and I reached out to Mike. Long story short, I started working for his consulting firm and fell in love with it. It's just the way that you can see the impact of your work almost immediately. It's not immediate. It takes time. But you get to reap those benefits within a short period of time. And that is what caught me. So that's actually why I got out of the consulting firm. I stayed in environmental health and safety, but I saw the impact of the programs and the implementations that we were doing, and I wanted to see those results. I wanted to be with that community and see that change and stay with that change. So then I started working for the industry so I could see those results and take those challenges and reap the benefits, really. So uh, that's how I got interested, and that's how I got hooked on this field.
1: Emily, if you could see yourself, your eyes are shining and you light up when you talk about that. It's a part of your heart and your soul to be able to do that. What does that do to you inside when you you see people take steps forward toward being safe?
3: It is so cool. Yes, I am very passionate about my work. Whenever I give a training or speak in front of people, I usually do get that compliment. And I love that because I am trying to portray my passion. And I think that's how you make change in the safety world as well. You have to show that passion and that care for the person. So
2: it exudes out of you to your credit. (laughs) Thank you. Emily, something specific. I can remember talking with you early on when you were working in individual companies was culture. And one of the things with that was employee engagement and the importance that played in building a safety culture and how actually it's just about impossible to build a safety culture without getting that employee engagement. What I loved during our pre-call is you were giving us some really specific examples of how you garnered an employee engagement and then used that to build culture. Can you talk about some of that, how you've done that in the past?
3: Yes. So seeing that culture shift in the company That's what can get you hooked. When you can see that employees, their attitude coming to work is different. Safety can play a large role in that. If you feel safe in your workplace, you can enjoy it better. One of our facilities, just for example, when I started with them, their recordable rate was skyrocketed. They had around 40 recordables. We implemented some of these culture changes and at the end of last year, they only had four recordables from 40 to four. How do you make that happen? Those are some astonishing numbers. A company can have all the proper procedures, the policies, you can have all of these programs, you can check all the boxes, but if you're not seeing the results, I can tell you what you're missing, and that's the culture. So how do you get people to want to be safe? They want to work safe and not injure each other. They want to work safe when you're not watching. So how to make that happen.
1: Emily, you just nailed a principle, arousing the other person an eager want. So it's not the have to, it's appealing to the want to. So now we're going to see how you did
3: that. Yes. So to go off of that principle, I do like to talk about molding the leader's management style whether we're talking about managers, supervisors, or just simply a leader, somebody who's highly looked up into in that company, how we can mold their management style using safety to reap those benefits. They will be safety benefits, less people getting hurt, but also you can reap operational benefits as well because you build that relationship. So getting a person to want to work safe, a small tip about that, Let's talk about BBS audits. Let's say your company already has BBS audits. We know that's one of the best tools that we can do, but we're still not seeing the numbers. So let's train those leaders on how to properly implement those BBS audits. One of those things that you can do is within that audit, you ask the employee, do you have any safety concerns? This could open Pandora's box, but if there is a simple quick easy fix fix it for them do that you are doing something for them they want that change and then in return they feel ownership for safety they have respect for you they know that we have this better relationship because i did something for them something that they wanted to do therefore in return they will want to do something for me even when my back is turned
1: again practice another principle. Let the other person feel like the idea is his or hers. And so you listened and they got some credit for it, but it was their idea and you took it and ran with it. What does that do to that person on the inside, Emily?
3: We can also link this to appreciation. They feel appreciated. The power of appreciation. We want to also thank that employee because, hey, they're spending the time here talking with you. I'm sure they have numbers to hit, operational numbers. So you can thank them, make them feel appreciated as well. Give a sincere compliment or appreciation. When I am training leaders, managers to do, uh, let's say, a BBS audit, let's say on that example, we want to give two thank yous to the employee. Did they come to work today? Yeah, there's a thank you. Uh, So they feel appreciated. We want to thank them for their time. They are taking time out of their work to talk to you about safety. And then if they do give you any safety complaints, you can respond and make them feel appreciated and thank them for that. And then wrapping it back in, you make that change and they're going to appreciate you. And you have that relationship. We're building that relationship. So this goes back to maybe the manager, the supervisor, they're not on the safety team but they're building that relationship with that employee. So they're going to reap the benefits of safety, but also they're gonna have that relationship with that employee. So that employee can come up and ask them questions operationally, or they'll want to hit those numbers operationally because they have that mutual respect. And the same goes with safety. They're not going to want to get hurt because they have mutual respect for you because you've shown them appreciation and you've made them feel that they have a part in safety. It's their idea. It's their change that they cultivated, and therefore, you have their buy-in. You can get their buy-in.
1: Emily, you somehow led people to do that. Was that well-received, easily received, much pushback? What do you see going on in the actual implementation of that? Because a lot of people say, well, yeah, I'd like that. How do I do it?
3: Right, right. So if we're talking about, let's see, molding the management style of the leaders and the supervisors, the managers. Yes, most likely, realistically, you will get pushback, but getting that connection to them, that we're molding them, we're building them and their management style. This improvement on how we relate with our employees is not just a benefit for safety. It's a benefit for their management style so they can succeed in their career because they are building their skills as a manager, as a leader, on how to relate with their employees. So I do training with them, going on the floor, being there, being a personable, actionable person out on the shop floor, you know, having leaders on the floor, not in the office. That's really impactful. We have to be on the shop floor. We have to have that personal relationship. We have to be there to see what the issues are, with our own eyes and be alongside the other managers and leaders as they are seeing the issues.
2: Emily, you had a couple notes that I think relate to what you just said. You can't manage it top down, right? You got to manage it bottom up. That's the only way you get employee engagement. But you had said a couple things during our preps call on saturating with safety. And the other one I just absolutely love is vomit safety. So... <laughs> Tell me what those are about and uh, what part they have, what you were just talking about as far as uh, being present.
3: Yes. My horrible analogy that you're not going to forget because it's so horrible is vomit safety. We want safety everywhere. We want it on the walls. We want posters. We want recognition parties for safety. We want to be walking that fine line between corny and cool. Let me tell you about that. In the end, it doesn't matter if you're corny or if you're cool. What matters is that they're talking about safety. For example, let's say we have a recognition party, you know, make it corny, donut get hurt party and you have donuts or a safe tea and you give them tea. It doesn't really matter if it's corny or if it's cool, but they're talking about safety at the end of the day. Another thing to tie in here is the small things that we can do. So let's talk about a morning meet and greet. I've been honing in on getting that personal relationship with the employee. And this really sets the tone for the day. Let's say a company isn't willing to spend the money for safety yet. This is something that you can do that's relatively cheap. And I say it's cheap because it may take a few minutes out of the operational day to get your safety committee to stand at the door when most employees are entering and greeting them, getting to know an employee's name, getting to know them on a personal basis, calling them by name, and then asking them to be safe. So what are we doing here? We're setting the tone for the day. We hear safety when we first walk in. That's the first little piece of our vomit of safety everywhere. It's the first thing we hear. But also, they get to hear their name. They know that you know them personally. They don't want to let you down. You know me. You know my name. You might know my children. You might know I have a pet that I adore. But you get to know me, and we make that personal relationship.
1: Emily, some people would say, that is so simple. Give me something harder. You've used another Carnegie principle. Remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. That you personalize. You also use principle number nine. Make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. And the sincere is a huge part of that. How does that blend with making that person feel important with helping them be safe and saying the culture? Just clarify for us.
3: Let's put it this way. If I don't have a personal relationship with the employees, They may comply to safety out of fear. They'll be reprimanded. They'll be written up. Or they will comply with safety when you're there, when you're watching, because they know that's what they're supposed to do. But if we build this personal relationship, I know your name. I converse with you about your family, about your interests, what interests you. They're not going to want to let me down. They're going to work safe because maybe they've made that connection. It's for the better for them. It's the better for their family. But also now they have that connection with me. I'm not going to let Emily down. She's going to feel sad, disappointed in me if I disobey this safety policy, regulation, et cetera.
1: Emily, let's go a different route. There are some people that will say that safety is a male-dominated world. And you have not only entered that world, you've earned successfully. How challenging is it for a woman? And what have you done to make the success, not based on gender?
3: Right. Most industries are mainly male-dominated. I have had my challenges in the past. And I do want to share with you an experience that I had earlier on in my career. I was trying to implement simple changes. We were trying to implement some machine guarding improvement. The leaders at this facility did not want to listen to me because I was young. I was a manager at that time. They didn't think that I was old enough to be a manager. They did not believe. I knew what I was talking about, the machines, the way that they worked because I was a female. I know that they thought this, unfortunately, because I heard them telling my manager that they were not going to comply because of these reasons.
1: What did that do to you on the inside?
3: At the time, I did not handle the situation appropriately. But I will tell you that I have learned from this and I have grown immensely and I am so much stronger because of this interaction. I have learned how to stand up for myself. I'm not going to be pushed around. I've learned it's not okay to be treated like that and who I can go to for help. In the end, I knew that I was correct on needing all of these improvements for machine guarding. Even though I was a female, even though machinery is not generally something that females deal with, I knew the safety regulations and I knew that it had to be done. What did I do at that time? I didn't do anything, I didn't stand up for myself. I let myself get walked over. Ultimately, somebody else had to request for these improvements to get completed. That crushed my self-esteem and made me rethink, is this the path that I want to go? Am I going to be respected? Can I really make a name for myself? As you mentioned earlier, I'm really passionate about what I do. So can I proceed?
1: How did you rally yourself back? Because it was a down time, what it sounds like.
3: That's a really great question. And what I have in my life and I'm very fortunate is I have some really great mentors. Some of them are male, some of them are female. Being able to speak with them and going back and thinking about what had happened. This was in the past. There was nothing that I could do in the future to fix it, but there was something that I could do to not let that happen again. The lessons that I have learned They've made me stronger. They've made me a better manager. They've made me a stronger woman. They've made me a stronger person just in general. And I know how to stand up for myself. And there's a way to do that. So we talk about getting personal with the employee. Well, that can go with standing up for yourself. Sometimes people may think that standing up for yourself is being rude or pushing back right then and there, but there are ways to do it so you can relate to that person and still make that connection with them while still being strong and not letting yourself get walked over.
1: How do you think you hit that balance between being strong but not coming out across as too much? How do you do that?
3: It really is a fine line. And what I've learned is if you don't feel comfortable about a situation, that a way that you're being treated is you need to confront the situation as quickly as you can. So don't let it prolong. Sometimes this is hard in our new day with all the virtual meetings and coworkers, but it's to talk to that person face-to-face. Don't send an email. An email can be looked at in multiple different ways. They may think that you're having a tone that you really didn't want to. So have that conversation. Try to get with them on a personal level as well. Um, So whether that be You know, start the conversation off speaking about something that you know that they're passionate about, and then you can move into the difficult conversation. Don't let it prolong. If you don't feel comfortable with the situation, the way that you're being treated, you need to speak up about it.
1: Let me just point out some principles you just told us about there, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Mike. First of all, there's a principle about leading people that we talk about our own mistakes before criticizing or correcting others. You've been open enough to say, I had to learn from this. There's another principle that you gave that's in stress and worry principles. And it says, live in daytight compartments. The past is over. The past is the past. The future's way off then, but now I live for the present. And that's exactly what you just told us you did. It's over. If I could redo it, I would, but I can't. But you learn from it. And now you're going forward and you don't let the past bury you. And the other principle you applied was appeal to the nobler motives. And oftentimes when we have stalemates with people, if we can look for the higher motive and bring that to their attention, we can go for that. We can even get the person saying yes, yes immediately because we're finding the higher motives that we can relate to. So to your credit, without knowing all about them, you were
2: weaving those principles in. I'm not surprised. Emily, I really admire your courage and conviction with kind of finding that and then moving forward. One of the things that kind of brings to mind is the balance that we have to have as safety professionals between the technical skills, right? That a lot of times, especially in my day and age, that was like the only thing that was used to establish our credibility was how well do we know machine guarding and electricals and cranes and find spaces and lockout tag, out, right? I mean, that, that's really what defined us was how well we knew those technical areas. The other skills that you explained so well and which you just exude is your passion and enthusiasm and how you use those skills. So talk to me kind of as you've come through your career and have you tried to balance those? Do you think it's more of, okay, I got to have my technical skills to start and then I'm moving into this, or passion and enthusiasm is where I need to go forward? Or is it still a balance? Or what do you think if there's a balance or or what you feel you need to be to be successful?
3: Like I said, I've had some great mentors in my career. And one of the things that they have helped me with is learning the 80-20 rule. So you can do great things at 80%. Do not let perfection get in the way of doing something great. And what I mean by that is, let's say we are implementing a program. It's a kickoff program, the end of the year, or the beginning of the year. We need that momentum. We can't get caught up in the details. We can't be perfect, or we may lose the momentum, the enthusiasm, et cetera. So really work on that 80-20 and think about that last 20% to get to perfect. What benefits is that really going to get us? If you spend that time to get to perfect, are the benefits worth it? Or could you be working on something else after that, a new program? Is 80% gonna get you a great outcome? If so, move forward, let's do it. So that can be set in many different ways, rolling out programs or just with your note keeping or your data analysis. There's got to be a balance of perfection and great, and you can do great things at 80%.
1: Do you think some people are waiting till everything gets just right and perfect before they launch?
3: Absolutely. And I used to be that person. If you know me personally, I am a perfectionist. I want things to be perfect. I love the details. And so that's something I've worked with myself over the years. And that's why I want to share that with other people is let go. You don't have to be perfect. You can be great and the outcome will be great. And you can see those successes earlier and quicker. And you'll probably have more because the enthusiasm is still rolling. And we have people on board and they're ready to do it. And, and you've made those relationships and let them see that you're making that change. So 80-20 rule is now my live by.
1: Emily, Dale Carnegie said. Enthusiasm is the little known secret of success. And I think that as we've talked to you and as folks listen, they'll sense your enthusiasm. What part for a safety professional, where does enthusiasm fit in the whole gamut of being a professional?
3: It fits in every single aspect. First of all, thank you for saying that I'm very enthusiastic about my work. Let's talk about implementing a new PPE, right? I am the safety manager and I tell the managers, this is the new PPE because X, Y, Z, this is why it's good. If they go out to their team and they say, well, Emily's telling me we got to wear these new safety gloves, so wear them because Emily said, am I going to want to wear those gloves? Probably not because I don't know the why. I don't feel like this is helping me. This is just another thing that's being thrown at me that I don't understand what the benefits are for this. So we do need to portray our enthusiasm and especially letting people know the why. If I can convey my enthusiasm down to the managers, they can get that enthusiasm and they can push it down to their employees. And ultimately, we all understand better. It's part of communication and getting excited for the change and understanding that the change is for me. It's for my safety and it's not to make my job harder or more difficult. So we need to feel that enthusiasm and get that communication out clearly.
1: Again, a principle, you're talking in terms of the other person's interest. You're trying to appeal to their interest for their well-being with that enthusiasm.
2: Let me go the other way with Merle's question. So now take it to the plant managers, the directors of operations and those kind of people, right? When you're trying to sell a new program or talk to them about your initiatives and your strategy for safety, how well does that enthusiasm and passion work there? Or do you also need to have in store from a a technical side to that as well?
3: Yes, so I think that You need both, right? You do have to know the technical side, but also your enthusiasm. Trying to implement a new program to anybody at whatever level, maybe it's a vice president, maybe it's the general manager, you do need to let them feel your enthusiasm, but also what are they getting out of it? So what's really cool in safety is a lot of times if we are more proficient in safety, then our operations will be more proficient. Of course, there is the way to present it is give them the numbers. Everybody loves to see how much money it's gonna save them, how much of improvement they're gonna get with their operations. So yes, you do need the technical side for that, but enthusiasm, and you can even show them how it's going to change their culture, their operations, by doing some of the low-cost things that I was talking about earlier, passing out lifesavers and asking employees to report a near miss, save a life, here's a lifesaver. That is so cheap and relatively easy. And if we can see benefits of little initiatives like that then we can see the benefits of these larger programs that may cost more, may have more monetary value, may take up more time to reorganize how they do something operationally to make it safer. But you can show them with your enthusiasm how these small programs work and If this lifesaver is doing this much change and getting this much enthusiasm out of our team, just think about what reorganizing this for more ergonomic, what that could do to their esteem and their motivation. So it definitely takes both enthusiasm and technical skills.
1: I agree. There again, you've applied the principle of talk in terms of the other person's interest. Emily, we meet a lot of safety professionals that feel struggle uh, managing up and guiding up. And a huge part of that is we have to try honestly to see things from their point of view. What is it they're being held accountable for? What is it they're required for? And when we can look at their interests like you did and say, we could connect this safety activity to better production cost savings, then that speaks into their world and appeals to them. So you're hitting them in both areas there. I am curious, though, too, on another topic, you've mentioned you have children, maternity leave, something like that. How'd you display leadership in working through that? Who took over for you when you had to be gone?
3: Yes, actually, fun fact, today is my last day of maternity leave. And I was so excited to share it with you guys, because I miss my work. I love talking about safety. That's a really cool fact about myself. But Let's talk about how I manage my maternity leave. And here I go again with another saying is you need to manage yourself out of your job. Essentially, what you want is you want the programs to run when you're not there. So this could work for a maternity leave or this could also work for a day to day life. I want programs to continue to run as if I'm not there. Or if I am simply doing paperwork in the office and not having an eye out on the shop floor, you want the programs to continue to run without you. So teaching other people how to run the programs and having the safety programs be sustainable. The ultimate goal here is peer-to-peer interactions. So I want to go back to one of the first examples that I was talking about is BBS audits. I can't manage that while I'm on leave. But if we get that peer on peer interaction, you know, we've talked about training the managers, the leaders, you get through that, they're on board, you have them in your safety culture. What's the next step is going into peer to peer. That's the ultimate goal. So I feel that my coworker cares about me enough to come up and do a safety audit on me. And I can give them feedback. They can give me feedback. We can keep each other safe because we have that mutual respect. We are having peer-on-peer interaction. There's your ultimate goal. You know you succeeded. And I can step out. I can do what's important is spending time with my family right now while I'm on leave. And I'm not concerned. I'm not worried about all these programs falling apart because I'm not there to oversee them. So manage yourself out of a job, but you will still have a job, I promise you.
2: (laughs) Emily, let me ask you something related to that. Advanced Auto Parts obviously has numerous distribution centers all around, right? And the things that you were talking about, culture and personally relating and being on the shop floor and being present, absolutely agree. That's fantastic. But now you're in a role where you're overseeing more than just one facility. So how do you capture what you're doing when you're doing that and spread it among that many other facilities? Is that through other safety leaders that are at those facilities? Is it safety committees that are those facilities? How do you bottle that up and make that happen all across your company?
3: Yes, I'm glad that you brought this up. I do think that safety committees are the backbone of our safety culture. Just like what I was talking about, that peer-on-peer, if we're at that level of our culture, we have succeeded. Getting those safety committees running, getting them truly engaged and making impactful changes, and can a safety committee member lead that safety committee and not a manager and not a safety professional? There's your ultimate goal. So we've changed the culture. We want them to want to have safety. In terms of advanced auto parts, yes, we do have other managers, safety managers and engineers at other distribution centers, not all of them. So I will still say that safety committees are a large part of keeping these programs together and having the eyes on the floor.
2: Emily, the thing that keeps coming through in my head is how authentic your approach to safety is to who you are as a person. You have taken your natural, God-given character, personality, everything, and you've turned it into your strengths for safety and how you manage and lead. There's nothing you stand a better chance of being successful at is if it's something that's authentic to you. That is fantastic. All right. So you have done so well. You have qualified for our rapid now, fire. You're advancing round. to the next level. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Advancing the next level. So... What I'd like to do is I'm going to ask you three questions. I would like for you to kind of think about them and then give me just kind of the first thing that comes to your mind as far as answers to these three questions. So brief, short, first thing that comes to your head. Got it. Okay, here you go. First question. Reflect back on your uh, short but very impactful career so far. Give me your best feel-good safety leadership moment of when you felt like, okay, that felt great and that reaping the benefits part. What's your best one?
3: I think I've already shared this with you, but let's reiterate it. Seeing the numbers, so the recordables from one of our facilities going from 40 recordables, we hurt 40 people down to four. Four is still too many, but you can see that. And at the end of the year, oh my goodness, look at those charts. They're beautiful charts. Let's print them out and post them everywhere. So making that visualization. That felt good. And yes, I would say that would probably be one of my highlights.
2: My favorite way that you just explained that, because there are some safety leaders that would have just said they would have quoted their IR and and just how what that meant corporately and maybe even workers comp premiums and whatnot, or their EMR reducing or whatever. The way you said that was that basically 36 less people got hurt. 36 less families had to deal with the stress of a family member being injured. The way you just did, again, that's your authentic self, but that was a beautiful way to answer that. Okay, now I'm gonna flip the coin. Give me the low moment. Was it a real challenge for you being a safety leader?
3: Mm, a real challenge. Man, I feel like we've already talked about all of these things because (laughs) the challenge that comes to my head is when I didn't stand up for myself. You know, looking back, there's nothing I can do now except learn from the experience, but why didn't I stand up for myself? I'm a strong person, so.
2: The best thing about a low moment is when you turned it into forming you, and you did. Yes. Low moment bad is when you just leave it alone, but you use it to develop yourself, so that's fantastic. Okay, the last one. Speak to the young safety professionals out there, and if you have two or three pieces of pearls of wisdom for them on advice, what do you got?
3: You never get what you don't ask for. You get 0% of the things you do not ask for. Sometimes you do have to come out of your comfort zone to ask for something. Of course, do it in a nice and professional manner. If you feel that you are owed something or you feel that a program would really make this huge impact, don't be afraid to ask for it. The worst that they can say is no. And if you've done it professionally, then there's no hard feelings. And maybe it sparks a conversation about something that you can get. That's something that is obtainable. So that would be my piece of advice.
2: Great advice. How's that for a perfect ending, huh? Don't be afraid to ask. That's fantastic. Emily, this has been a joy. It really has. Just been wonderful talking with you and just great watching you develop and become the safety leader that you are. You know, you're your authentic self, and you've taken that and turned it into a wonderful career. The best is
1: yet to come for you and for us. And so thank you very much for giving your experiences to be a benefit to others as they've heard about your big safety challenges.
3: Thank you guys for having me. I've enjoyed this.
1: Good deal. Thank you. Michael, we just saw Emily was able to make connections throughout the organization, up, down, all across. And those connections
2: led to success and the well-being of people. Yeah, absolutely. What a great episode for a young safe professional to listen to. Man, she lit up when she talked about safety culture and things you could do. And then being able to see that happen, you know, being able to see injuries reduce from 40 to 4, right? And knowing that's less people getting hurt and how she actually uses that passion to drive her communication with upper management and her buy-in with the employees and employee engagement. So just a very authentic person and I love it for the safety profession and the future of the safety profession, seeing people like her. And mark it down in your notes, folks. Vomit safety.
1: (laughs) That's a quote from Emily, but it's a way of life for a safety professional.
2: There you go.
0: Thanks for listening to My Big Safety Challenge, a podcast produced in partnership by Dale Carnegie and BCSP. With your hosts, Dale Carnegie Master Trainer Merle Heckman and Mike Palmer, Principal at NSAFE. Executive produced by Charlie Eltringham, Supervising Producer Michael Escobedo, Audio Engineering and Editing from Jesse Gray and Giachi Liu, Editorial Support from Tyson Matthews. Consulting producers are Colin Brown and Mark Sullivan. To have new episodes delivered directly to you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. If you would like to share your story of a safety leadership challenge you faced, email us at infomybigsafetychallenge.com. At See you next time.